Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. And again, good morning. Welcome to All Saints. So glad you are here with us to worship the living God. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you make my words this morning in the meditation of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, what a wonderful celebration we had at Holy Week last week. About a month before, I think you could say I might have had what some would call an otherworldly experience. By way of a 2020 documentary, have you seen the documentary entitled Ella Fitzgerald, Just One of Those Things? It showcases the voice, the voice that catapulted her from a homeless teenager living on the streets of Harlem in New York City to become known as the Queen of Jazz. Now, I knew about her scat jazz that she was known for, but what I didn't know is she also became known as the greatest female interpreter of the great American songbook. I didn't know what that was, It's songs from the 1950s and 60s that she recorded at the pinnacle of her career written by the likes of Cole Porter, Duke Ellington, Irving Berlin, and the Gershwins. I'm here to tell you her creativity, clarity, tone, and interpretation were angelic, are angelic, beyond words. I kept hitting replay to listen to it again and see it again just to believe it, just to be inspired by this God-given gift. (sighs) However, the documentary also chronicled the considerable pain and suffering and heartache and disappointment that accompanied her life. Many parents will attest that they're as happy as their least happy child. 
And in some ways, that may be also true for pastors. While we have a lot of wonderful, joyous, delightful things going on here in our All Saints family, I also know of our share of heartache, struggle, suffering, and sometimes it unsettles, even shakes our faith. When one part of the body suffers, there's a sense in which all of the body suffers. And so we need all of God's otherworldly gifts that we can get. And this is why after, e- after every Easter, every year, we look at Doubting Thomas because he stands in the place of all of us and shows us how to see and believe and be inspired by the bodily resurrected Jesus, God's ultimate otherworldly gift, who gives us a living hope in our heavenly future in him. Thomas shows us at least three things we need to see afresh today. The character of Jesus, the characteristics of belief, and the call on our lives today. So first, the character of Jesus. See how Jesus responds to doubt. Thomas's doubt and even our doubt. He responds first with persistence. Look at how he pursues his followers, going through locked doors. Locked, presumably because they're afraid. They're afraid that what's happened to their leader by the powers that be is going to happen to them as well. And it begs the question for us, how might we have locked Jesus out of our life because we're afraid of association with him in one way or another? Not only his persistence does he respond with, to Thomas's doubt, but also with patience. Verse 26 says, eight days Jesus waited He was waiting for Thomas to be back in the fold with the disciples, ready and perhaps even waiting, wanting to see Jesus. It shows us that the light of Jesus comes differently into each other's lives, differently into dark areas of our lives, even areas of doubt. For some, the light of Christ comes at a time certain, like Paul on the road to Damascus, where you can say, For a dark room, you flip the light switch, and that time and day, it went from dark to light. That's how Jesus sometimes comes to us. Or for others, like myself, when I first came to believe, it was a time uncertain, like the slow rise of the morning sun, where I knew I was in doubt and darkness, but at some point, the room of my life was light. C.S. Lewis says, that God wants to move into every room of your life. And so the question is, is the father's son slowly rising in a room of your life today? Or do you have it locked? He'll warm your heart and enlighten your path if you'll let him. God says in Jeremiah 29, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus says, I've come to seek and save. I've come to bring abundant life. That's what he wants for us. So the character of Jesus we see in responding to doubt with persistent patience, 
but also with his wounds. In our world of suffering, God permits us to doubt like Thomas, to question and complain, even to shout at him, asking why, why, Lord, these circumstances? But God doesn't answer us with a why. He answers us with a who. He's entered into our suffering and pain. He answers our why with his wounds and his death. Death could not hold him. He is victor over it all. Look at the body of Jesus in our passage. He's fit for heaven, and yet his wounds remain. He swallowed all sorrow and suffering so that they're part of his glory. The resurrection of Jesus not only means you get heaven, all that you've ever wanted, but it also means that even the worst of your sorrow and suffering here will make your heavenly joy greater because Jesus has defeated and swallowed it into his glory. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what can sustain us now. Not only persistent patience and his wounds, but his words he responds with. His words of blessing and transformation. He gives a a blessing twice by saying, peace be with you, but also words of transformation. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus is the living word of God, and he has tied himself to the written word of God in order to bring answers to our disbelief and doubt. The Bible may not answer all of our questions, But it does give us what we need to know for an abundant life if we're willing to listen and seek. This is what we're doing in all sorts of ways here at All Saints as we study God's Word. In our 50-plus class that meets in the middle service, I won't say the time because that may change, but uh, in the middle service we meet, and in our series, because you asked, we go to God's Word for answers to questions that you've sent me. Sometimes the questions are doubts, even objections. Are you going to God's word with your doubts and your questions? Are you letting even objections keep you from Jesus or his church? I heard recently of someone who says, I believe in Jesus, I just don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, sometimes, well, I've I've heard that before, but sometimes the answer is found in what the Bible doesn't say. Jesus never said, follow my followers. He said, follow me. And love not just the lovable, but the unlovable as well. God's word is a fundamental way to find answers to our doubts and our struggles in the faith. And so we see the character of Jesus in response to doubts, and then we also see here with Thomas the characteristics of belief. First, something that's not so clear or obvious, we see humility here. A willingness to say, I don't know it all. In the first century ancient Near East, a bodily resurrected Savior offended both of the prevalent views of the time, the world views. The Jews, represented by Thomas here, 
believed that bodily resurrection would come, but they, at the end of redemptive history, not in the middle of it. And so Jesus coming before the end was an obstacle of belief. And then the Greco-Roman worldview believed spiritual is good, physical is bad. And so a physical, bodily, resurrected Savior was unthinkable without humility. So we see a characteristic of belief of humility, but also in verse 28, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, he had come to a point where mentally he agreed to the mysterious reality of Jesus's identity, both God and man. But he didn't stop there. My Lord and my God, a personal trust he was ready to give. My identity is in light of his. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. And so this humility and personal trust brings us to a living hope. The disciples' encounter with the resurrected Jesus showed them the certainty of their future. Our epistle reading in 1 Peter says it well. Our Lord Jesus Christ has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. A living hope to direct us and inspire us even in struggles and suffering in life. Consider this illustration. Two people working the same job. The first is promised at the end of the year $30,000 a year. And the second is promised $30 million a year. Undoubtedly, the latter will work with much greater joy and perseverance and hope regardless of the challenges because they know what's coming. Friends, the key to Christian hope is the resurrection of Jesus. It shows us the certainty of our future in Christ, a living hope. Tim Keller calls the resurrection of Jesus our cosmic receipt. You know, when you go to Costco and you have a cart full of stuff, you've got to show your receipt when you go out to make sure that things have already been paid for. Well, the resurrection of Christ is proof that all we owe has been paid for. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. And so this humility and personal trust and living hope that comes from belief causes and results in a transformed and trans transformational life. Consider what the resurrection did to the disciples. We've seen all through Jesus's public ministry that the disciples again and again showed themselves to be cowards, especially during Holy Week when the pressure came on them. But after the resurrection, they become bold leaders of the church. All but one of them died a martyr's death, history tells us. Thomas went from doubting to believing. I have a name of a church you've probably never heard of. Syro-Malabar Church. Anyone here ever heard of it? 
Its history recounts that Thomas landed in the Kerala area of the southwestern coast of India in 52 AD. And through his gospel ministry, he became the founding pastor of over seven ecclesial communities. Think of it. In response to Christ's great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, Thomas traveled farther than any other apostle by far. Even if St. Paul made it to Spain, we don't know whether he did, but if he did, Thomas went a thousand, more than a thousand miles even farther and to a place without Roman rule, so without help for language and culture that Thomas might have been aware of. In 72 AD, 20 years later, history tells us that Thomas was martyred by a fanatic Hindu priest. And yet, today, my wife Drew and I are direct beneficiaries of Thomas's missionary work almost 2,000 years ago. Our across-the-street neighbors are members of St. Alfonso Syro-Malabar Church in Maynard, Texas, Misha and Tony. Their spiritual ancestry traces directly back through the generations to St. Thomas. Yes, our cultural and linguistic backgrounds are half a world away. And yet, when we first met at a neighborhood birthday party, I saw the light of Christ in them and wanted to get to know them. And when he learned that I was a Christian pastor, he lit up and he almost hugged me. Now, friends, when I go into social situations and tell people I'm a pastor, I usually don't get that kind of reaction. And it's the same way with our Unidos ministry. Yes, cultural and linguistic differences, but one heart, one mind in Christ. God is gathering a people from every tribe and tongue and nation to reflect the beauty of his diversity unified. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. As Tim prayed, think of the generations to come that may trace their spiritual lineage back to the cross-cultural ministry here at All Saints through Unidos, just like Tony and Misha trace theirs to St. Thomas. And that brings us to the third thing we have to learn from Thomas this morning, a call on our lives today. Let me ask you this. Where does a doubting Thomas today go to see the marks of Jesus suffering? I'll tell you. We go to his church. Acts chapter 9. If you'll remember, the ascended Jesus confronts the greatest persecutor of Christians at the time. The one who would be St. Paul, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And yet Saul was persecuting Jesus' followers. But Jesus, in saying, why do you persecute me, shows us that he equates his followers with himself, with his body. And so today, our call as Christ's followers, his church, his bride, is to live lives of hope and sacrificial service in this world of suffering, especially when we're persecuted and wounded. We're to respond to mocking, derision, even bloodshed with forgiveness 
compassion, mercy, grace, as our Lord did. Hate the sin, yes, but love the sinner. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, he said. Now, I grant you that such a response is not a human response. It's an otherworldly response. And I think we have been and are seeing that at Covenant Prez in Nashville, as we did in 2019 in Charleston, South Carolina, when Emmanuel Church members forgave the murder of nine of their own. And as we saw in 2006, when a Christian Amish community forgave within hours the killer of five of their own schoolgirls. The body of Christ, his church, is a community of faith empowered by his Holy Spirit to make his resurrected body present and known in his world. We are a missional people gathered and sent to live distinctively in words, in our words and our walk. Harvey Kahn, the professor of missions at my alma mater, Westminster Seminary, used to say Christians are to gossip the gospel. Without any effort, we talk about what's important to us, don't we? We talk about what we're invested in easily. Our kids, our work, our hobby, our favorite food, the favorite restaurant to get it, our vacations. Are you gossiping the gospel where God has planted you? And then Dr. Khan would say that our walk, our lives, are to be a gospel show and tell. Grace, integrity, sacrificial service, quick to forgive and quick to ask for it. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury during World War II, said this, The church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. Friends, may our sacrificial service and yes, even our suffering in the body of all saints inspire faith in Christ, faith in Christ for us and faith in Christ for our non-members. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that the inheritance you have for us is imperishable and unfading. Help us to live in the light of our future in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that the light of Christ in us and through our body would shine forth, even in our suffering. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.